Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. All right, thank you all so much for coming out this evening. It is great to be in the house of the Lord together with the people of God. Can I get a hearty amen to that? Amen. Amen. I am excited to be here and I believe we have a, a very helpful practical truth, as Pastor just mentioned, that will guide us in how to pray in these days. And I want to just walk us through uh, Colossians chapter 1 and the prayer that, that Paul prayed for the believers in Colossians there that I think is very applicable to us here today. So we'll go ahead and get into it here in a moment. The story is told of a specialized fighting force that was to join some battle-hardened Navy SEALs deep within enemy territory. They were well-equipped, well-armed, and truly a force to be reckoned with. They had a confident leader, and they had qualified men. Yet they had one issue. They were exclusive. They had reason to be. They were elite, and no one was going to tell them what to do. However, as they were to integrate with the Navy SEALs and join them on missions, because of their spirit of exclusivity, they soon became a liability. The Navy commanders realized that this group had to leave before their spirit infected other fighters and thus risked the success of the overall mission. Their thinking, their mentality, affected their actions. Here in Colossae, Paul was facing something similar. There was false teachers that pervaded the entire church and thus risked the message of the true gospel going forward. They had to be eradicated, and the believers needed to be strengthened. There's a pervading theme that stands out in, in Colossians, and that is this. Christ is sufficient. You find it all the way through the book of Colossians. and We don't have time to unfold that uh, in its entirety tonight, and um, that's, that's another discussion for another time. But I want to bring that to our attention. Christ is sufficient. And this was in stark contrast to the false teaching that pervaded the Colossian church. Paul wasn't the founder of the church at Colossae, Epaphras was, but he had brought the gospel there through Epaphras, and it had started the gospel work uh, there in Colossians 1, 7, you'll see that. So Paul, no doubt, had heard of this false teaching pervading and sweeping the church, and he wrote the letter of, of Colossians to the Colossians as a response to this false teaching. And it's not without a direct message. That message is, Christ is sufficient. Now let me explain some things that will help us understand where Paul's coming from, why he prays the things he prays, and why he writes then the book of Colossians. There was this, the false teaching that particularly was invading the church was something called syncretism. It was an interesting mix of angel worship, of following the laws of Judaism, and uh, a seeking for an elevated spiritual experience by adhering to these visions, these visionary experiences, and also keeping Judaism 
and the traditions there. So it's an interest, interesting mix of paganism and Judaism called syncretism, working together, and it was infecting and invading the church. So Paul is seeking to inform the Colossians of several key concepts uh, to contrast the false teachings that they were hearing. First, in chapter 1, he points out that Christ is preeminent, and all fullness indwells Christ. Second, because Christ indwells believers, they are complete in him. We find this in chapter 2. Because of this knowledge, application for believers focuses on knowing Christ. This transcends earthly things. This final point, it, con it contrasts and contradicts the worldly, fleshly results of Judaic mystics. That's what we were describing before, that syncretism. And they were ironically seeking to transcend earthly things, yet they found themselves more disappointed spiritually and bound physically. We come then here to Paul's prayer found in Colossians 1, verse number 9 through 14. We'll go ahead and we'll read it. That's Colossians 1, 9 through 14. I'll begin reading here in verse number 9. And it says this, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Amen? Amen. In the face of this false doctrine, it's, it's one that had an appearance of adherence to laws and visions in order to have an elevated spiritual experience. In the face of this false doctrine, Paul sought to pray that the Colossian believers would think right and thus live right. So we come to the focus of Paul's prayer, that is, to think right. So we see the cause of his prayer, the cause for his prayer here in verse 9. It says this, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it. So the, the, the thought here that... that uh, corresponds here with verse 9, the Colossians had been, present, had been presented the gospel very clearly. Paul wanted them to have correct understanding to avoid this deception by the false teachers. Denying the gospel is not just wrong knowledge. It is a neglect to give God the glory for his power worked out in their lives. So we see uh, leading up to this in verse 3 through verse 6, it says, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, and I want you to notice this, whereof ye heard before in the word of, of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world and brings forth fruit as it does also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. So here Paul reminds them once again, Listen, you've received the true gospel. It's come, it's come to all the saints. And it's an all-inclusive gospel. It's been preached in all the world. And it's for you as well. So, he then continues. He shows his continual prayer here in verse 9. 
he, he continues by saying, he does not cease to pray for you. So Paul demonstrates, demonstrates an intercessory prayer. This verb, do not cease, shows a doing with consistency, a regularity. He was going to bring them before the Lord day after day after day. Not only was he uh, sh showing us here the cause for his prayer and his continual prayer, but also his passionate prayer. He goes on and says, And to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So Paul's desires desirous that the Colossians would be filled by God with the gospel of God. So full knowledge of God can only come from knowing God and his gospel. This is truly his will. But it should happen in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And here it's important to note, it's the very spirit of God that reveals this wisdom and this understanding. This, once again, I point out to us, this right here he includes because it's in stark contrast to the teaching of the false teachers. They were seeking this spiritual elevation outside of Christ, and he was praying that they would know God and his will and wisdom and all spiritual understanding found in Christ. Christ was truly sufficient. So it was this knowledge he was praying. This was the focus of his prayer. But then Paul's prayer continues. Now that he stated his purpose for his praying, which is thinking right, he gives the purpose for them to have this knowledge of God's will. So we see the purpose for Paul's prayer is for them to live right. Not only does he want them to think right, it's not just supposed to be an adherence to some truth, and then we stop right there. There's a living that is supposed to occur. So we see... There is a walking worthy that needs to occur. Look in verse 10 with me. It says, That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. The purpose here is that they might walk worthy of the knowledge of the Lord that they have received. Because you are thinking right, live right. To walk has the idea of to live a life. To to walk worthy, then, has the idea of to live in a way that demonstrates the power of the gospel and change brought by the gospel in the believer's life. They ought to walk worthy while focusing on the Lord. Here's an interesting, uh, an, an interesting thought that goes with this. We've been speaking, we've been realizing that Christ is, is sufficient. Now, whereas in the Old Testament times, wisdom and understanding were associated with the law, the Torah, they would, they would call it. Here, Paul associates wisdom and understanding with Christ. It says, walk worthy of the Lord. This is also seen in Colossians 2, 6, where Paul says, As ye have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. They ought to walk worthy by Christ's power with Christ as the focus. Unto all pleasing, it says, walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. It's supposed to be for Christ, to please Christ alone, not anyone else in the church, not any other doctrine taught in the church, but Christ alone. So they are to walk worthy, focused on the Lord. We see verse 10b, worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. So how then, as we are thinking right, how should we live right? Paul then lays out a four-step process to live out what he's praying for them. This is how to live right. 
the process to live out Paul's prayer, how to live right. So he breaks it down into four main things, four parts that I want us to notice here. First, beginning in, in, in the latter half of, of verse number 10, it says, being fruitful in every good work. They ought to bear fruit as a result of living right in every action. Paul wanted the, the Colossian believers to, to understand that their lifestyle is going to lead unbelievers to Christ. Being fruitful is living right. Then he wants them to understand not only is fruitfulness important, but an increase in knowledge. The, latter, the, the very end of verse 10 says, and increasing in the knowledge of God. As, as the believers, as the Colossian believers would walk according to their identity as believers, they would grow in further knowledge of Christ. Yet again, knowing right, living right. This is a cyclical relationship between knowledge and action. Now I want to give an illustration here to help us understand this principle that even uh, affects us even in, in the day in which we live. So I would say maybe it's about 10 years ago, but uh, I was you know, in my hometown listening to the radio or shopping at this particular big box store. How many of you all have heard of the shopping center called Kohl's? It's kind of a Wisconsin-based um, Wisconsin store. They have a point system that people tend to like. They often price uh, merchandise way higher than any reasonable person would ever buy it. And then they, look, they mark everything down. So the entire store is filled with things marked down. And you're just like, wow, this is an amazing deal I'm getting here. There's something called Kohl's Cash. And they'll send it to you in the mail. And you're like, yeah, five bucks of Kohl's Cash. And then they have the catch at the end you got to use it by within three to six days' time of, the, of, of when you got it. So then you, you, you hurry off to the store to use your five bucks of Kohl's cash, only to find out that nothing at Kohl's costs five dollars. It costs much more than five dollars, right? So you're forced to buy something that you didn't plan on buying, but it's a great experience, and we're from Wisconsin, so we love Kohl's, right? <laughs> so that's kind of the culture of Kohl's, and uh, they, they kind of they have that marketing scheme going along but one of their um, advertisements included this phrase, the more you know, the more you coals. For the longest time, I was like, that is so cheesy. I don't even know what they mean, and I still think it's cheesy. I was sitting uh, in my study preparing for this tonight, and it hit me what they were finally getting at. The more you know, the more you're going to act. And where are you going to act? The more you know about Kohl's, you're going to go shop at Kohl's, right? That was their whole pitch. And so they set up that system and those things to get you in their grasp. The more you know about Kohl's, the more you're going to Kohl's. <laughs> the more you're going to shop at Kohl's. And in a sense, this is, this is what, what it looks like for believers here. What Paul, Paul is saying, the more you know, the more you act. The more you act, the more you know. Therefore, he's saying, Act on what you know. What you know to be true, Colossian believers. You know the gospel to be true. We gave it to you. It's sufficient. Christ is sufficient. There's no law. There's no experience you need to have. There's nothing outside of Christ that you need to experience in order for this gospel to be effective. It is the true gospel. Therefore, since you know that, you need to act on it. Because you know and, and because you know the fullness of God, the wisdom, the understanding, the spiritual understanding I'm praying for you about, 
Walk worthy. I'm praying that you would walk worthy. So here's a question for us tonight. Are you acting on what you know? How often do we interact with God's word and we don't obey what we learn? James has some words to tell us about this. He says it's like a man who looks in a mirror and he sees himself and he sees all the things that were misplaced by his long night of sleep, yet he turns away and does nothing to fix it. He doesn't, he doesn't respond to what he knows. And that's living in deception. But see, acting on what we know, increasing in this knowledge, this cycle of knowing, acting, knowing, acting, knowing, acting, increasing in knowledge is living right. Then we see uh, not only uh, are we to be fruitful and increase in knowledge, but we are powerfully strengthened. Verse 11 says this, Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. This word here, strengthened, is in the passive sense. So it demonstrates the act of God upon the believers. It's not us strengthening ourselves, it's God strengthening the believer. It is a power that supersedes the supposed spiritual elevation taught by the false teachers. They thought they had something that was next level, and it was God strengthening with all might, according to his glorious power, a power that superseded anything, anything else taught by anyone else. It's an enduring strength in all things, and it's a comprehensive strength that includes every scenario. Being powerfully strengthened, friends, is also living right. Then we come to thanksgiving. Verse number 12. Giving thanks unto the Father. Here the attitude of giving thanks is done with joy. The thought from verse 11 at the very end says, with joyfulness, is really attached to this attitude of giving thanks. And it's not just a private giving of thanks, but it's a public confession and declaration of Jesus Christ as Lord. Remembering Christ's work in your life should, should lead to a yielding to Jesus Christ's authority in your life. Giving thanks to God is also living right. So why should we give thanks to God the Father? This verse here makes the transition to describing the power of God worked out. How is it worked out? Through his son, Jesus Christ. The right knowledge understands the power demonstrated by Jesus Christ through his finished work of death, burial, and resurrection. As one commentator said, to live in this light of this knowledge is one of the central demands of this letter. It's the knowledge of the fact that Jesus Christ paid for sin, death, and hell by his death, burial, and resurrection. The power of God as demonstrated through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, it applies to us. And that's good news. Now we come to verse 13. Specifically here, we ought to give thanks to God for the following three reasons. First, he qualifies us to be a partaker of the inheritance that God has prepared for those who believe. Then, he has delivered us. This means he's rescued us from the power of sin and the penalty of hell. And he has saved us from the dominion of darkness, all the aspects of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And third, he has transferred us. This is how we are qualified to receive the believer's inheritance. Because we've been transferred. It's the idea we've been transplanted from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. 
This is powerful truth, friends. He's qualified us, He has delivered us, and He's transferred us. He then uses verse 14 to flush out the details of salvation. And He keeps it so, so simple. It says this, In whom we have redemption through His blood. And He even qualifies that. Even the forgiveness of sins. So what are the details of this salvation? This rescue? Redemption through the forgiveness of sins. Now what qualifies you for a heavenly inheritance? It's not the practice of rituals or having a visionary experience, as Paul later details in Colossians 2. It is the forgiveness of sins, friends, offered by God the Father through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. It's that simple. The forgiveness of sins. So, how will we choose to live? God's calling us through the truth of this passage to think right and to live right. We're going to conclude, as this is a prayer service where we want to talk less and we want to pray more, by going to the very throne of God and bringing some of these very particular truths to Him. We're going to pray for ourselves. We're going to pray for each other. And we're also going to pray for those in need around us, too. So I'm just going to lead us through the very last page of your, of your uh, handout here tonight. And then I'm going to explain what we'll do. And we're going to keep it very simple here. There's two things that I believe we can pray in the spirit of thinking right. First of all, tonight, we need to pray that God would enable us to think right about biblical truths he's been showing us, including this truth here tonight. But I guarantee you, has not the Holy Spirit of God been speaking to you in the last days, in the last weeks, through messages, through time with him? Indeed he has. We need to bring these things before him, and we need, we need to ask for ourselves and for each other that we would be enabled by him. We'd be strengthened with might to think right. Secondly, let's pray that God would enable those who have heard the gospel recently or need the gospel, friends and family and neighbors that you know that still need the gospel, that they would think right about it. So that is our first portion of prayer that we'll be doing. What we'll do is we'll take five to seven minutes and we'll split up by threes, maybe four, and we'll go ahead and pray for ourselves, pray for each other. Now I want to walk us through the last two aspects, and what I'll do is each five to seven minutes I'll just stand up and say, okay, now let's go ahead and pray uh, regarding living right. And then now let's go ahead and pray about the final prayer there mentioned. So here's the, here's the second uh, set of prayer, prayers I think would be appropriate in response to this message. Pray that God would strengthen you to live right according to the truth of this passage. And then secondly, pray that God would strengthen those who have recently heard the gospel or need the gospel to act upon what they have heard, which would be to be saved, to be a partaker of the inheritance as we are. And then our final prayer. Thank God for working in your life and for saving you. Wouldn't that be an appropriate way to finish in prayer to the Lord? Wow, what an inheritance we have. What a privilege to be delivered from the power of darkness, the dominion of darkness, into his glorious light, into the kingdom of his dear son. So let's go ahead and group together. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, 
visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.